You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Ugh. Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello! I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. While you were skipping stones, building forts and flying kites, I was missing school and all my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me. Hello friends, it's Mark Tuminelli and this is my 50th episode of Little Me Growing Up Broadway. I couldn't think of any better way to celebrate than with one of my favorite people on the planet. My guest today is an award-winning vocalist and actress who, uh, whose partial list, just partial list, of Broadway credits include It Should Have Been You, Nine, The Look of Love, Saturday Night Fever, and Grease. Her off-Broadway credits include Window Treatment, Goldstein, Last Smoker in America, The Marvelous Wonderettes, I Love You Because. She has starred at major regional theaters, including Paper Mill Playhouse, Good Speed Opera House, Signature Theater, Cape Playhouse, Jiva Theater, Alabama Shakespeare. And she has performed as a soloist with symphony orchestras all over over the United States and Canada, and her solo show was named the Best Cabaret Show of 2019. Please welcome one of my dearest friends on earth, Farah Alvin. Yay! Yay! Hello, thank you for having me. Hi, Farah. How are you this morning? I'm great, Mark. How are you? Good. 50 episodes. Like, I'm so excited that you're my 50th. Mazel tov. I'm very proud of you. I've been enjoying listening to Little Me and hearing all of everyone's early successes and trauma. Yeah, it's really fascinating, actually. Um, Before we get into the excitement of what's coming up for you, which is going to be your incredible studio album, which I can't wait to talk about, I want to go way back. Let's talk about, tell the people where you grew up, what was happening to little baby fair Alvin was she just like belting around the house? Give me, give me the four one one. Okay, so uh, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California, and I was always I used to say Hollywood adjacent. So my parents worked in the movie industry, but they worked. My father was a famous movie poster artist. So oh, we're gonna when, get to that, right? So you know, we were. The, he spent a lot of time in all of the major movie studios. He knew lots of fancy directors and things like that, but. It didn't have anything to do with the performing end or even the sort of the part of a film that you might see, although we were, you know, very, he was very involved in sort of the studio system at the time. And um, my, the joke has always been that I, I came out of the womb performing. We had this sunken living room in our house where the, the you entered and it was like a wood floor and then two steps down into a, a carpeted living room. And that was just my stage. So I I realize now that I'm a mom that not all children 
tell parents, guests to sit down and listen to them do a show. Um, I didn't know that until I was a parent myself. So uh, that was just sort of normal. I was very extroverted and I had um, excellent intonation as a very small child. And then my mom would play for me, you know, instead of kids music, she would put on her records for me to fall asleep to. So I would listen to like Judy Garland at Carnegie Hall and the early Barbra Streisand albums. And that was just kids music to me. So she was just making you a gay man. (laughs) Basically. Yeah. I mean, that was the goal apparently. So she was like crafting her perfect, you know, Pygmalion (laughs) style, uh, gay male child. And so, uh, I, uh, one of my signature songs as a very small child was Judy's version of Chicago from the live at Carnegie Hall concert, where I would do the whole breakdown at the end. So literally like four-year-old me would be like, Chicago, Chicago, my hometown, Chicago, Chicago, lighting easy town. That's my breezy town. I mean, I had the whole thing as though that was, I just thought that's how the song went. Anyway, cut to, I really wanted to perform. Lots of my friends in uh, in LA were kid actors. They were on TV shows. They did commercials. That was just sort of like an after-school project for lots of people. And I really wanted to do that, but I was very tall. So I'm sure it's been discussed on this show before that, you know, you always have to be older to play younger because older child actors can work longer hours than younger yeah. child actors. So you want a 15-year-old to play 10 because the 15-year-old can work a full day. Yeah. So Um, you started doing like open mic things. Is that what your mom started having you do at 10? Yeah. Yeah. So I started to, you know, I was taking lessons. I took dance class. I took singing lessons. I was in acting class with like lots of, you know, all my friends that were in acting class were all on shows and it was just sort of you know, I, not me. Um, but I was studying at this sort of professional level, but there was sort of nowhere for me to be because I was so much bigger than all of the other kids my age. And also at the time, uh, this was like the early eighties and, um, kids, little girls on TV were very quaffed. I used to say they all looked like Margot on Punky Brewster. Do you remember that? Yes. Character? Yes. Like uh-huh. every girl actor looked like Margot, like perfect blonde hair with like perfect bangs, curled. And I was just this sort of Margot like, had that little headband always. Yeah, that little Not headband. Cherry, she was like a she little had a headband. Yeah. Yeah, like a little angel. And her hair was so blonde it was white. Like it, it shined was, in the sun. Was, yes. Yeah. And, and like that, that was just not me. I was like, you know, dirty elbows and knees. I just was just a more, you know, kid, kid. And so I don't know that there wasn't, I just didn't fit. And, uh, but the advantage of that was that my mother in an effort to find a place for me to not only uh, perform, but also furthering my mission to become a gay man, um, started (laughs) taking me to any place where there was an open mic. So at age 10, I remember we would go on a school night sometimes out to the gay bars, to the piano bars in Hollywood. And I was not allowed to be there because I was underage. So they would let me stand in the kitchen. And then they'd say, Farrah Alvin. And I would go and sing a song. And then... What would you sing? So uh, this... I remember singing uh, Johnny One Note, which was my sort of audition song until I was about like 25. 
Um, and I sang lots of standards and like Motown stuff. I sang like my, uh, not my girl that didn't track. Uh, there was, a, Oh, uh, my guy, nothing you Got could it. say could tear me away. So I would do stuff that was sort of like, not, I wasn't in there singing like my way, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> um, and, but then over time, Although like, I was, think they would have loved that. That's the thing is that what started to happen is I, you know, as you know, this is a weird thing to say about yourself, but as, as I sort of am a sort of, I'm an old soul and I always have been. So at some point when I would sing something that was not necessarily appropriate, um, for a person my age, I remember singing God bless the child for a long time. And it was this very, like, people would cry. Like they kind of didn't know what to do with themselves because it was a, a sort of otherworldly experience, uh, this sort of adult voice and also adult understanding uh, coming out of this child person. So I, I, I did, eventually I went and did a, uh, an open mic at this club called The Rose Tattoo. And um, the owner was uh, this woman and there was a restaurant upstairs and the bar was downstairs and I was singing at the open mic and she came running down the stairs when she heard my voice. And she was like, what is that? Who is that? <laughs> and she introduced herself to me and she was like, you're incredible. I think I was 12. And she said, would you like to do a show here? So I did a solo show where I talked about did all your my mom life experiences. No way, no way. I did. My mom helped me write it and we got a really good music director and you know, he helped me put arrangements together and I did my first solo show. I, God knows what I talked about. I mean, I was thinking like grades, how about that? I mean, I don't know what I was <laughs> I don't know what I was like had grades. to say that was re relatable in any way. But yeah, my mom helped me do my patter, you know. And it was that very kind of like your first cabaret show uh, patter that's like this, I really like this song because you know um, that people still do today, regardless <laughs> of age. I try, to I try to make them not do that. When I I'm know you try to make them not do that. Um, but at the time, I mean, it was just sort of, you know, what do I, how do, what do I say to get me to the next song? Anyway, that's where I started. And then um, I, when I finally kind of caught up to my height, um, I was able to start auditioning for real things. Um, I won a lot of competitions and things in the LA area. There's this thing called the Music Center Spotlight Awards. This, I won the Spotlight Awards when I was 15. I think it was a sophomore in high school. And a lot of really wonderful people have come through there. Like Misty Copeland won the Spotlight Awards for dance. And Lindsay Mendez won a few years after me for um, musical theater vocals. And, you know, lots of incredible classical and uh, contemporary uh, artists have come through the thing. It's at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. And I, I won that competition and got representation. Um, which had just sort of always eluded me again, because it was sort of like someone would be like, well, I'll represent you, no. but what are you going to do? So um, I started auditioning when I was still like a junior in high school. And then my senior year, I booked a show that um, got me my equity card. And so that was I, Fame? Fame the Musical. It was the American yes. premiere of Fame. It had been a huge hit in Sweden. And I was playing the play version of Dora Schwartz, which is Serena Katz. Um, and many other super talented people have played Serena. Um, Janet Metz is a Serena. Um, 
uh, Jen Gambatis. Gambatis is on the recording. She's on yeah. the recording because they did a tour. Let's sing a love song or something like yes, that. Yes, very close. <laughs> yes. Um, so, I, I mean, that was a, a surreal experience. And I wound up, because I was almost done with my senior year and I had been taking like AP classes and stuff like that. So I was kind of ahead. I finished, this was 1994, before people had emails. And I finished my senior year on correspondence. So I went, I did my homework and I mailed it to my teachers. Like went to the post office. Yeah, legit, like in a big envelope, put my history paper and then I mailed it. (laughs) And then they graded it and mailed it back. And I got my diploma in the mail. And so there's like no question. This is what you were going to do that. Like the second you could move to New York, you would start yeah, I mean, there was no question, correct. There was no question that that's what I wanted to do. I didn't know that the path would happen quite at the speed that it did. Um, because after that point, um, I spent a year, I was at that point, it was like I was a senior in high school when I started working. And I thought, well, you know, do I go to college now? Do I interrupt the momentum that's happening of working? I mean, what 17 year old plays a lead in a new show and gets, you know, gets their card. So I just felt like, oh, this seems like a weird time to stop doing what I'm doing. And so while I was making that decision and trying to figure out where and if I was going to go to college, um, my I did the, uh, I was cast on the the Jekyll and Hyde concept album, the big double CD. With Carolee Carmelo, Linda Etter, and Anthony Warlow. Correct. Which was like making the rounds many years before that show opened on Broadway. And many everyone was years. talking about it. Yeah. So f- when I was in high school, the concept album that was just Cole Wilkinson, I think Cole Wilkinson and Linda Etter. And Linda Etter, that's a one CD. What single CD. With the ugliest logo that has ever been made <laughs> for anything. It's like a wolf and a man in a circle. It is, I just, it's like seared into my brain of like, oh, this certainly can't be what they put out on a CD. They'll change that. They'll change that. Um, uh, They had done a production of it, I think at the Alley Theater in Houston. And then this was this big double concept album, which was really revolutionary at the time to kind of, Six has basically since done that. Like the show Six has sort of been Mm -hmm. like, here's all the music so that when you arrive the day that the show opens, you're fully memorized. And Jekyll and Hyde was kind of the first show to do that. And so I was, I auditioned for that. I got cast and it was me and a bunch of just all of these who are people who I think of as Broadway luminaries, but they're really like lifelong gypsies that were in the company. It was Willie Falk, who was the original Chris and Miss Miss Saigon. It was um, Brad Oscar, who before producers and before that all happened for him, Christine Petty, who was like a forbidden Broadway legend at that time. Um, You know, Bill Nolte, all these people who had just been doing it. And I was, in the midst of trying to decide what I was going to do next. And every single person was like, Oh, you just have to go to New York. Like, don't like, that's silly. Like you're, if you're in this with us, you're good enough. So just go, just go to New York. And you were still in high school when you're on, when you recorded that? was the year after I was in high school. Um, myself, Jason Howland was the music who wrote little women was the associate music director on that. And Jason was like, 20 like he was a hot second old and he was and he was so mad at me that I came in to be the younger person on the thing I'm sure other people have talked about this but like you do have this weird pride of being the baby when you're the only when you're the the kid adult 
for a yeah. while. Um, and oh, I had it. I had it a lot. And yeah. then, and then, then you I don't. don't. And, and then, then you, you don't. And then you don't. And then one day you're like, oh, there's other people here that are a year younger than me. And then one day you're the oldest person in the company, which has happened to me Great. quite recently. So fun. Yeah. If you make this, my, my take on it is like, if you make it long enough in this business, you get to be the oldest. Be the oldest. The now, did you sing for Bill Clinton at the Kennedy Center? I did. Yes. So I won this award that's now called the Young Arts Award. It's a national competition. Oh yeah. And- Young Arts is a very, very big deal. Yes. So I won the first place position as a young arts awardee. And then the first and second place people are nominated to become presidential scholars in the arts. And so I was nominated. You have to then also be like a good student and a good Samaritan. And you have to write an essay about all the reasons that you're special. And 121, uh, there's a, let me think, it's like 110 or 101 academic scholars and 20 art scholars from all over the country um, are selected to come to Washington, D.C. and be participate in this special presidential scholars week. So I was a presidential scholar in the arts the year I graduated on correspondence. And I got to go to Washington, D.C. and Bill Clinton was president at the time. I have a like literally like a snapshot yeah. of like Hillary Clinton uh, like at a podium, like talking to us and Janet Reno spoke to us and like, it was just really incredible experience. And, you know, we got to shake the president's hand and the, the art scholars, all the performing art scholars, like the, the visual art scholars did a thing at the national gallery and all of the performing art scholars did a concert at, um, the Kennedy center. So it was like That's very so cool. And what like an informative experience for a young person to see sort of like the government at work or something. I don't know. It was interesting. You know what it, what it was, was it felt like, um, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it was informative. It was, it was, it felt very special just to sort of be, I, I think the minimum requirement for the academic scholars was like the minimum requirement, what requirement was that you got like a perfect score on your SATs. Great, so it was perfect. sort of, yeah. So it was like just kind of being around all these very intelligent people and then going like, oh, I guess, I guess I'm, I guess I'm good. You know, I guess I'm special. I, I mean, it's hilarious. To so many people who the world has heard of in the arts, like Tony Yazbek was a presidential scholar and my friend Leonard Howes, who's this character actor you've seen in everything. He was a scholar in the arts a year after me and like Desmond Richardson, all these like incredible people. And then I'm like, hi, I'm doing a cabaret show. So, um, <laughs> I th- it's funny to me, but I, I it, it was a at the time a very uh, extremely validating experience because it's one thing to be special like in your hometown, even if your hometown is Los Angeles, which is like yeah. a pretty major um, creative environment. Um, but it's another thing to be recognized nationally and again like by your future peers on a project that's going to New York and have people be like, yeah, you're. You're the You're thing. good, kid. You're going to do it. Before we talk about you making your Broadway debut, which was not long after you arrived in New York, yes. I want to touch down on your dad yeah. because, um, as you mentioned, he's like one of the most successful movie poster illustrators that worked in Hollywood, like in the history of the movie business. Yeah. And so I'm sure it was very exciting, you know, to, to kind of see that happen around you. But your dad sort of created the artwork for movies like Blade Runner and Gremlins and Goonies, The Color Purple, Little Mermaid, Batman Returns, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Space Jam. I mean, it, Harry Potter and The Philosopher's Stone. I don't know that So one. he didn't, he did some like other, like, um, not the movie poster for Harry Potter, but 
uh, did like other types of art around that, but everything else he did, what's called the key art, which was Uh the movie poster art. So the, when we were children, uh, young people you used to see like you go to a movie theater and in the theater you'd see a poster for movies that were going to be there and the movie poster was an advertisement for what was going to be the movie and it kind of what my dad did was this sort of very unique and special thing which was his the way he used to say it was um i i'm what was it? The, the promise of a good experience. So what it was, was his, his artwork was this sort of storytelling a little bit about what the movie would be. And his style, along with a couple of other illustrators from that era, really became this iconic, um, the images are more memorable for people than the movies themselves. And one of the, the biggest movies that he designed and a very iconic poster is the E.T. movie poster, which, of course, everybody everybody on Earth can close their eyes and imagine what that looks like. I think even, even people far younger than us, like it, that movie is such a big deal. Yes. Now, I need you to t- let's go on the record yeah. and tell people something that they do not know. My favorite, Fair Alvin fun fact Tell the people. Okay. So my father was hired to do the movie poster art for E.T. The studio would not release any images of E.T. at all. They would not let him know or anyone know what E.T. looked like at all. And the only thing they would give him eventually was um, a a script, which he read, and a reference for what the E.T. hand looked like. So with this information, my father decided to do a recreation, basically, of um, the Sistine Chapel, uh, which was knowing that there's this moment in the movie where E.T. touches Gertie's hurt finger and heals it. And so he knew that from the script, and he had the hand, and he was like, that's what we're going to do, creation of man. And so he decided to illustrate that. And he needed a hand model reference for the child. And Drew Barrymore and I are the same age. So she was like six, I think, seven when that movie came out, when she shot it. And so I was the hand model for the kid's hand in that poster. So I had to stand and pose. And then he, my dad took like 100 Polaroids of my hand and then drew from my hand model reference. And so that's my hand. So you are the hand in the ET poster. It is my favorite Farrah Alvin fun fact. It's my left hand. There's the finger. Oh my God. That's so cool. Have you, have you explained that to your child? No, I don't think he would get it. And my, my kid is like, my father is deceased. And so like my, there's this, there's so much for my child to absorb about what the images are that his grandfather created. So like sometimes my kid's bit, my kid's comic bit is like when something is like crazy, he does a fake pass out. Um, <laughs> so like when someone you like, would you believe? And then he'll be like, oh, and you're like, this is out. He's really working on his bits right now. Anyway, um, he, uh, 
he's seen ET. And I think we were like, do you know, see this poster? Like, cause we have a picture of it at home. The, Grandpa John made this poster. And that was enough. Like already that was like, it was like enough. the brain exploded. Out. Yeah. Well, what, a, what a fun thing to get to uncover as a kid. Be like, my grandfather made all of this cool art and yeah. that Goonies poster, man. That was like, the Goonies poster is also iconic. And then what's fun is not everything. A lot of the studios would not allow him to sign his name. But even when they did, my dad wasn't like, I did this. So he had like this huge signature. So he used to do this very, sometimes just an A for Alvin. And then other times like a very well kind of like um, printed, like block printed Alvin is in certain posters hidden certain places. So in the ET poster, it's right on the curvature of the earth. If you look very closely, you can see it there. And um there are other ones in Blade Runner. It's in, on the edge of one of the buildings. And and then I showed up in other posters too. So the original Princess Bride poster, they reformatted it at a point and put the two lovers, um, Buttercup and Wesley, in it. But the original format was this beautiful Maxfield Parish style environment where um, – you know, like that looks kind of like the world, the fantasy world that they're in. And then at the center of it is the grandfather reading to the little boy. And that's me also. (laughs) Oh my God, this is amazing. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right. Back to Broadway. <laughs> but this is a really fun segue. Fun detour. So you move, you move to New York and within three months you book your first Broadway show, which was the then hot, hot, hot hit revival of Grease with Rosie O'Donnell. So slight, close. Slight, We're very close. close. So within three weeks, I booked my first New York production, like my first production contract, which actually was not Grease, but was the Lynn Aaron's Alan Menken Christmas Carol that was at MSG. Oh my God. I didn't realize that was first. I thought that was after. That was first. So legit, my I didn't know anybody. I was like, I think this is how I get to the studio on the subway. I like walked into a room full of people. I, so I had been in New York for less than a month. And you know how like, I don't know. You know how on the first day of a Broadway yeah, yeah. show, like no. on the first day of a show, typically, you know, this business is very small. And so people have worked together before and they all know each other. And Christmas Carol had happened at MSG the previous year in 1994. Um, but they didn't love it. Like the writers didn't love it. And so they decided to do some rewrites and some recasting. And they basically were treating it like an all new show, except that like a good portion of the people were also returning from the previous year and they knew each other from show business. So I'm like standing there like uh, a corpse. Like, I don't know what, I don't know anybody. Am I allowed to talk to anyone? Why do they all know each other? And this woman walks over to me and is like, are you Farah? And I was like, yes. And she goes, hi, I'm Susan Stroman. It's so nice to finally meet you. (laughs) And I was like, what what is happening? So 
first day of rehearsal on a new show, the writing team often sings through the score and like Alan Menken and Lynn Ahrens sang through the score. Uh, they sang all the songs. It was a good, truly mind-blowing experience. So that what was a actually- great experience to do before you have to do a Broadway show eight shows a week, like to do 20 shows a week at Madison yes. Square Garden and kind of get used to that life yes. it that was you're like- about to have. It was like boot camp. It was really hard in that respect. But also I was very blessed that so many of the people in that company were also just these, again, Broadway veterans, people who work all the time. We had Ben Vereen was our Ghost of Christmas present and um, uh, Terry Mann was our Scrooge, um, both lovely, lovely human beings. Um, but um, more than more so than them, the other people who were in the ensemble with me were people who had been in 15, you know, 20 Broadway shows. So when I was like, am I, you know, I, I am I allowed, my shoes hurt, you know, and I would think like, I don't, I don't know, can I say something? And they'd be like, girl, you got to go get your shoes fixed. Like, that's not your job. And I, okay. So like I had these people who were fostering a sense of integrity around me, which was really, really special and important at the time, because then I spent a year unemployed afterward, you know, but then I got the national tour of Greece the following year. And that then led me to my official Broadway debut. Um, I was still only 20 years old when I joined the Broadway company. And, um, uh, I came in after playing Jan on the road, I came into the Broadway company understudying Jan and Miss Lynch. Of course. Naturally. Tell the people why you had to understudy Miss Lynch. Because I was the tallest girl. <laughs> Makes me laugh every time. So who was like, who are like some of the notable celebrity standouts that you got to work with in Greece? Because that was a that was the Weisslers pre-Chicago when they were like first starting to figure out if we put in Linda Blair, we can run three more months and then we'll put in Linda yes. Blair is who I saw in Greece on Broadway. And so that's oh, then why you I saw me too, because I did Yeah, you're, Linda. you're in my playbill, Farrah. Mm-hmm. Um, Linda, Linda was a really nice woman, <laughs> is a really nice woman, I'm sure. Still. The, the billboard, in, let me tell the people in case yeah. they don't know, the yeah. billboard in Times Square had a picture of Linda um, that As was- Rizzo. As Rizzo. And at the top of it, the head was a cube that spun around. Like watch my head spin because mm-hmm. she was in The Exorcist. Yes, that was what was ab- above Howard Johnson's. In yes, Times in Times Square. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes, it was yeah. a great ad campaign though. Pink everywhere and all the people having a good time. It was and bold. Her head spinning. It was bold. It was bold. <laughs> um, we. I will tell you that the. Let's see. Interesting people that we that I did the show with, both on the tour and on Broadway. Um, Tracy Nelson uh, was my first Rizzo and she's, you know, people may not know her. If you Googled her, you'd be like, oh, Tracy Nelson. She worked a lot as an actor in the 80s. Um, But her father was Ricky Nelson, who's literally mentioned in Greece. And so Ozzie and Harriet Nelson were her grandparents. So she was this part of this like 1950s legacy. Um, So that was a trip to have her, like there's literally a line in the show about how cute Ricky Nelson is. So it was like a very surreal thing. And Tracy is an amazing person and just a very grounding, wonderful energy. Um, I did the show with Peter Sklari, Donnie Most, Jasmine Guy, who was awesome. Um, Joe Piscopo, um, the, the late Jeff Conaway, who um, played Kanicki in, in the, the movie. movie and played Vince Fontaine when we did it on Broadway. The most iconic uh Rizzo performance and 
just celebrity stunt cast besides Linda Blair was um, uh, Lucy Lawless, who played Xena Warrior Princess. Yes, of course. And it was the most iconic for me, I, I mean, at the time, because a lot of times, listen, everybody's got to work. I appreciate everybody like reviving their career. But for the most part, a lot of the people that we had as celebrities in the show were people that were famous either during the period of time that Greece sort of took place or adjacent to it or, you know, a while ago. And they were kind of like trying to figure out a way to boost things. Oh, Donnie Most. Did I say that? He was. Yeah, you, we got Donnie, Donnie Most. Most. Donnie Most. Never forget. Donnie Mo- Do you forget? Donnie Most. Donnie Most. Um, but um, Lucy had really, like Xena had like just stopped being on TV. It was like a really big show. Then. It was huge. It was 19, I want to say like 98 around there, 97. And so her fans were rabid. They were rabid. They were completely insane for her. And there's this part in the show uh, where Rizzo barks at Cha-Cha. Like Cha-Cha's like, ay, ay. And, and Rizzo goes, woof, woof, like back at her. Like that's, that's the script. Anyway, um, that's the, you know, on the page. That's what's typed out. Yes. And so all of the Rizzos did something sort of different with it because it's a hard joke to land. And Xena, I mean Lucy, would go do her Xena warrior cry. So Jen Cody as Chacho would be like, ay, ay, or something. And Lucy would go, ah, which was her like war cry on the show. And the audience would be like, ah! I mean, they completely lost their minds. And we were like doing a Chacha, like, because we're at the dance. So all of us on the ensemble would be like doing a Chacha. And what my scene partner, Bill Roland, and I, we decided, my dance partner, we would count how long the show would stop for. And it would sometimes stop for up to a minute, just cheering for the crazy oh war cry. That was an intense uh, stunt cast, yeah. What an interesting first Broadway show, official <sighs> Broadway show, I'm sure. Um, now, of course, you went on to do lots of Broadway shows, like mm-hmm. The Look of Love and Nine, and It Should Have Been You, and Saturday Night Fever, mm-hmm. um, and there, and Ruben and Clay's Christmas Spectacular. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you, you never quite stopped, but I have to talk about I Love You Because real quick. Yes. Because that's our connection. Yes. And much like that teacher or that woman who owned the bar who stopped in her tracks. It's actually, we have the exact same story. <laughs> I was um, working for the producer, uh, Fred Crusoe, and I was working all day. And so I would not really see the show at night. And then one night I was still there, like dealing with some concession, something. And I heard you singing the second song in the show. And I literally froze in the lobby. And I was like, who is this woman? And I went in and watched the rest of the act. And it was the, it was the most exciting voice I'd ever heard. And I still stand by it. It is so, it's like you and Linda Etter, my loves. That show was such a great showcase for you yes. and who you are. And it felt like it was almost written for you. Yes. And there's, you know, 
young people around the world have listened to that cast album. And there's a great love for that show. Can you just tell me a little bit about uh, sort of working on I Love You Because? Yes. Well, it was, it was a, a turning point in my career. Uh, it, it went from being a kind of ensemble player and more mainstream things to being a leading player in more uh, independent slightly more creative work, which then sort of informed the rest of my career and my career decisions after that. Um, So I, I, there is, without getting into too much detail, I had had, there was a a path that was sort of turning for me right at that time. I had been doing readings and workshops of I Love You Because, and there was a funny story about that too that I'll tell you in a second, just because it's sort of all those, you're always in the right place at the right time kind of things, you know? But, uh, you know, there was a potential opportunity for a, a career as an ensemble player in a, a very long, in a show that's still running today. Um, and I was like, I want to play the lead in this new off-Broadway show. I want to create this. And it, it did. It changed my career. It also changed, like, my whole orientation to how I wanted to be a performing artist. I was so fortunate in these stories of having success very young to say like, oh, I did that. You know, I did this. I was, you know, in a Broadway show. Susan Stroman was the first person I met in a New York rehearsal room. I, I, I was in a Broadway show when I was 20 years old. I, I sort of checked those boxes as so fortunate to have done so, so early that then I had this sort of sense of, well, what else can I do? What's next? And so uh, creating new things was the the path forward for me. I had met Josh Cunningham and Ryan Saltzman when they were in grad school at NYU. NYU has one of the best, grad, maybe one of the only graduate musical theater writing programs in the country. And I had been going there and doing new work there for people for you know many years already is sort of like singing on demo after demo after demo demo after after demo after demo yeah 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 and yes and establishing relationships with like lots of people so I'm friends with people that I know through that program from coming in and being an actor for hire are like you know people who are really important I think in the world now like Joe Iconis and Michael R. Jackson and Nathan Tyson and Chris Miller and I mean I know all those people I did I did Nathan Tyson's first year 20 minute project before he wrote his thesis with Chris. Like I've known these people since they were like, I think maybe I'm a musical theater writer. So I met Ryan and Josh that way. And uh, I did a very, very early draft of a song for Marcy and Austin. Like they were like, what if we did a contemporary Pride and Prejudice? It was like a side project. They had heard me sing for someone else. Will you come in and sing this? And then Lots of other people played Marcy for a long time. Um, I think it was their thesis and I wasn't available for it. There were lots of other reasons that I didn't do it. And then eventually they said, we're doing it at NAMPT. Would you be interested? NAMPT is the National Association of Musical Theater Producers. It's a big conference where people do new work. Um, And uh, our director... Dan Kuttner, who was attached to the project by the NAMPT thing, I show up to rehearsal for NAMPT and he goes, he had similar experience of like, you know, wait a second when he hears me and he goes, oh my God, I just saw you play Fanny Bryce in Kansas City. So we're in rehearsal and Dan says, wait, I, you know, I, his wife went, was from Kansas City and happened to be visiting her parents and they happened to go see me play Fanny Bryce. And 
he turned, I guess, immediately to the producers and was like, make sure she's contracted for this show. Like, do not let her get out of your hands. This woman is a comic genius and she's an extraordinary singer. Like he had just seen me do one of the hardest comic and also sort of tragic comic roles in the theater with all of my voice. And he was like, oh my God, like that's who, that's who we need. So, you know, sort of weird, like I just wanted to play Fanny Bryce and it turned out that the director of my next project happened to see me in that and it had nothing to do with why it was that I love you because, but it's a really special, I loved working on that show. I'm still, obviously I met you, the most important relationship I made there. And then well, that's my favorite thing I've heard all day. Well, that's true. 10, 15 AM. <laughs> that's so true. Um, but Colin Hanlon, my co-star is still a wonderful friend of mine. And um, I'm still friendly with Ryan and Josh. And what's amazing is just listening you know, to people do the material from that show, bringing it in now that when I teach college and they bring it in, it's in their book. You know, it, it's really uh, special. I feel like I, uh, it, it told it told me a lot about the kind of work that I wanted to do and it's made a very lasting impression. We call it, it has a, a cult following. It say. does have a cult following. And, you know, obviously you are so incredible on all of the cast albums that you appear on. Like, you know, we all listen to Marvelous Wonderettes to hear you belt so high. <laughs> so high. So high. Oh, and the hardest doing? show ever. Um, and obviously all of your Broadway musicals and it's all very exciting. I want to just quickly touch down on your solo album Someday, which I love very much. Thank you. Is there, and it's all songs you wrote yes. and they're great tunes. Like you're an excellent songwriter. Thank you. Is there any plans to sort of have a release of that so that people can get that uh, on their Spotify's and iTunes music? I, you know, it's something that we, I am very recently considering. I never, when I did that album, there was no iTunes. <laughs> there was no, I mean, I did, I, I, there was nothing. I independently produced a record thinking like, I'll have all these CDs that I'll sell at my gigs. And then like, nobody uses a CD and like, I don't do gigs anymore. So, um, uh, at the moment, there is no um, there is there is no way to download someday. But uh, but I'm being influenced by you and by others to try. Yeah, and we're make gonna get that out. Happen on a streaming platform. There is one way right now, actually, to get a copy of someday, a physical copy of someday, and that. Oh. Um, so um, we, I'm currently oh, uh, segue raising money in a crowdfunding way to record a new album that is all music that people know and love, uh, all music from the seventies, which has been the thing I've been doing lately. Um, I've had these two very successful shows that are one person shows that Mark Tuminelli himself directed and helped this guy, this guy. Uh, and, um, so you have two shows, one called on vinyl and one called B side, which is also available to come to your theater. If you'd like to book Vera Alvin and Michael Holland, and maybe even a full band, we can, we can come and do those shows at your theater or cabaret space. But these two incredible shows that encompass some of the greatest music of the seventies, um, will now be sort of refined down to this incredible studio album, which will yes. 
be a, a really big thrill for everybody. So tell me about what you expect for that album, what you want to have happen, and then we'll tell the people how they can help make it happen. Yeah. So, you know, when we, when we did the on vinyl show to a person, every person walked out of the, the room saying, when can I buy the album? The, the music is so iconic and feels like it's part of everybody's experience, daily experience in childhood. I was just at, uh, at physical therapy the other day and, and your so vain came on the radio and my physical therapist, who's also like, you know, a young person in her early thirties, maybe even her twenties knew every word sang along. And so there's, there are songs that are just so in our blood because they're great songs. And then with Michael's arrangement and my interpretation of things, they, they have this very sort of new spin. We're not reinventing the wheel. We're not doing this with like a crazy dance beat. We're just doing great versions uh, of these songs, which already feel very personal to me and to so many other people. So um, by doing a studio album, we'll really be able to flesh out the sound. So multiple tracks of vocals, which is something that your brain expects to hear on these tunes and more instrumentation than just what we were able to do live. And, um, and then you'll be able to listen to it every single day. So that's been, uh, the goal. And, um, where we set a very modest goal of $12,000, which is really a baseline of like, that would be doing the album on the cheap, but would enable us to do uh, a lot of really good stuff. So our goal is really to exceed that so that we can add more amazing instrumentation, more studio tricks, um, more production value, and even more songs potentially to the, fu- the finished product, which will be streaming and which will also be available on CD. And if we exceed our goal enough, we're going to do a vinyl print of on vinyl. Which so, we have to do. We have we to do have a vinyl do. print of on vinyl. We just have we to not? do it. So we are super close actually to meeting our initial goal right now on our Indiegogo campaign. Um, and um, But I would really love to have it be the best possible version. And that really just requires more funding. So that's kind of where we are right now. Well, to all of my listeners, for my 50th anniversary episode, it would make me so happy if you went to igg.me slash at slash on vinyl. Um, it'll also be in the show notes and all that fun stuff. And just donate five, 10, 20, 35, $1,000, $1, whatever. Um, we also just have a thousand dollars, whatever you have. Whatever you've got just in your pocket change. Uh, what is it about? about this music that you're so drawn to it. I mean, obviously I know it's the the soundtrack of your childhood, but what do you think it is about these songs that they live on and that this is a one a slightly generation right before mine, but it's the music I I gravitate to as well. So I just want to hear what Ferris thoughts are on that. It's such a good question. I think what I discovered is that a lot of people gravitate to this music uh, of all ages and all walks of life. I think at the end of the day, it's just really good music. It's well-crafted and the thing, so great melodies, great chord changes, great lyrics. But I think the thing that makes this music really special, especially the tunes that we selected to put into our show is that the songs are personal. They feel personal. They feel confessional and truthful. You know, you, I know Mark is obsessed with my version of Poetry Man. Um, which I is love Poetry Man. Baby Snow so song. Good. And I, it's so, it, you feel like you're there in the room with the storyteller. So there's this, I think this storytelling quality that all of these great songs have that feel 
you know, they don't feel like, oh, you know, it'd be a great, there was something about, I actually teach pop music, teach other people how to sing it all the time. And there's something, you know, when you listen to a song like, um, you know, from the earlier 60s, that feels very like, this will be a hit. Let's do these words because this is hook, this is, hook is good. And like, there's some of that in the 70s, and there's certainly some of it in my show. But more than that, there's just a lot of songs that feel like this only this person could have written this song, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that that's what makes it really special is this truthfulness. And then that's the it's, kind of performer that I am. So it it's a good marriage. And you with Michael Holland is really a special thing. He is a musical genius and... I he, love working he with him. He laughs so hard if you call him a musical genius. No, but he, he is. is. I agree. I agree. He plays the piano and it sounds like 13 instruments. I'm like, wow, are you doing this? He He's so remarkable. And his arrangements of these songs are, are truly brilliant without changing ever the intention. It's just lifting up the material. It, it's so, he's so special. I agree. I mean, I feel so, so lucky that we were, that he was even available to hire him for this. We had only worked on a couple of things together before. And when Mark and I came up with the concept of the show, Mark said, who do you want to music direct? And I, he was the first person that came to mind. I just didn't know if he'd be available. And truthfully, I didn't know him very well. And we, I've just been so fortunate that we're like, we have a very sibling like yes. relationship. So we, we immediately just have a connection and a way of communicating with each other that is, that's useful and productive and um, respectful and gets the job done, which is what I, Mark knows, like, I really like to do. I'm like, okay, now what, what's next? So, well, and Michael's the same I, way. It's going to be such an exciting album and I'm so thrilled that we can kind of start working on it. Cause I think we're at a place where we have certainly raised enough money that we're making this happen. For if sure. everyone could just like, just push us a little bit further on the other side. We yeah. Be I mean, for me, overwhelmed. The, the big incentive right now is that like to, to be able to do, I guess there's a shortage on vinyl. There's like lots of production shortages in the world. And I guess there's a shortage of actual vinyl records or the, the ability to make them right now. So it is a, it's a definite extra expenditure. And, um, that to me, I just, I, I can't, it can't not happen. I want so badly to be able to be like, this is my album on vinyl on vinyl. It just has to, to put happen. a needle. I have to put a needle on a, on a record right? and hear your voice. And, it's going to happen. And the goal too, is that that album will not sound like me doing a cabaret show. The album will sound like this is the, you'll feel hopefully like the same way you feel when you listen to the original version. That's what we're aiming for, except it's me. Well, I can't wait to make it happen. I can't wait everyone for everyone to hear it. Um, also, I do have to also let the people know that you are the greatest nutritionist on <laughs> earth and all of the talents that you have. Oh my but God. you have helped so many people find success with Thank their you. bodies and their, uh, you know, the way they feel about food and their relationships to food. And uh, I can tell you, everyone, that you've helped me immensely in that oh my world God. as well. Thank and you. Uh, Yeah, you that's know, my side that's, hustle. That's side hustle too. I just want to sell all the fair Alvin things because they're so they're I, I deal in a currency of fair Alvin. And it is, <laughs> it's, it is the, it's the greatest, it's the greatest gift. So um check out the Indiegogo, check out fairalvin.com for all information about upcoming shows and also the um, how to get the Indiegogo if you don't have the link and uh nourished with fair Alvin, which is also a great way to change your life very easily. Thank you. Um, we have to do obsessed and quick fire questions. Okay. So Farrah Alvin, what are you obsessed with? I'm obsessed right. with Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. 
totally obsessed. I, I, I'm seconding this. I got to the Theranos very late Oh, and I, uh, only watched it two weeks ago, the documentary. And now I am watching the, the daily news coverage. Constant of the updating. I mean, it's like, I feel like I've got like a Google alert. <laughs> this girl duped everybody, but in the wildest way possible. She's and, and so in insane. And in a way also that like literally when you hear like the consequences of her duping, you're like, what? Like, it's truly like, it is mind blowing, mind boggling. And there's this one moment, I have to talk about it. In the, and I wish I knew the woman's name. I feel a terrible person that I don't, I can't recognize her name, but in the documentary, the HBO documentary, I think there's another one too, which I haven't seen yet, but the okay. HBO one, there's this woman who was like the science technology professor at Stanford University. And Elizabeth Holmes was like, this is what I want to do. And this woman was like, that's a great idea, but that's not possible. And she was like, no, no, it is. And she was like, no, it's not. Like, here's why. And gives her like a thousand reasons. She's like, great idea. Go back to the drawing board. Keep working on it. And Elizabeth Holmes like didn't like that answer. So she just was like, then went to like these rich guys and was like, I'm cute. And I, I don't know what she, it wasn't quite, quite I'm cute. It's like this weird- She's- Definitely not cute. But she definitely like duped these old white guys. With She's like, I have an idea. But she I has the lowest idea. voice it is- of lower than Countess Luann de la Seps. It is, <laughs> it is a wild situation. If you don't know what we're talking about, just Google it. Go watch it. it. It's, I mean, yeah, literally Google it. Also slightly obsessed with Nexium still, but I'm really onto Theranos now. We're we're just moving on. Have you yeah. watched Lady in the Dale? I talked about it last week on the podcast, but you have to talk about the uh, the woman who uh, created the Dale car, the three wheel car, um, that was also a very big dupe. Uh, oh, it's no. fascinating. It's on HBO. My obsessed this week is enlightened with Laura Dern, which I totally had slept on, and then after oh, watching my White's White Lotus, we went back to watch Enlightened, and it it Laura Dern is Chef's Kiss. Yeah, uh, what an actress. Um, so check out Enlightened. All right. Ready for the Broadway Workshop quick fire questions? I don't know if I'll, ever, if I'll ever be ready, but. Okay. First audition song we covered this, but just say it again. Johnny One Note. First Broadway show you saw? Uh, Miss Saigon. I saw uh, the national tour of Cats was my first like big show, but on Broadway, Miss Saigon. That's a good first Broadway show. Yeah. Um, uh, favorite Broadway show that you were not in? Oh God, what a hard question. Oh, title of show. Great. Um, artists you would like to work with that you haven't? Oh, I want to work with um, uh, with the Cohen brothers. Something that you have turned down that you had second thoughts about? Oh, yeah, I'm going to pass. <laughs> Okay. Um, that I one? That, I know. I, That's I know like a therapy answers. session. I can't. <laughs> what revival would you like to star in? Um, I want to star in, um, oh, MAME. <laughs> Great. MAME is coming up a lot these days. Um, I mean, I've got a talk- few more years, yes. but, you know, MAME. Yes. Who um, do you like to, who do you talk to the most from your Grease days? Oh, um... I'm still really close to um, 
Uh, my ensemble mates, my I, there were three of us that had to do this weird thing in the bathtub in Sandy's, in, in Rizzo's bathroom or Marty's bathroom where we sang backups on Freddie My Love. And um, my friend Joanna Young, we're still really close and we talk really regularly. I love that. What is something that you did a workshop or reading of or whatever that didn't come in that you're super sad about? Oh my God. Date of a lifetime tragedy. That was so good. So good. We just, I got to see you do that. This didn't happen. And now I'm definitely too old if it does come. (laughs) Have you ever seen little Abner? What a fascinating question. No, I don't think anyone has. I really don't know anyone who's ever seen a production. I know that I Googled it not that long ago because I was like, what is this show? Because it's based on a comic Like a comic cartoon? Comic strip, yeah. So I'm I know sure I Googled it. I don't think anyone on earth has seen the last ever seen it. Let's um, do it. Go to album for a car trip. Um. Oh, uh, not so much with my kid anymore, but the first Tenacious D album. It's a lot of swearing, so we can't do it with a yeah. little one anymore. Um, what 70s song would you like to sing with Patti Lapone? Oh, um, uh, could we do like a handoff of something from Evita? Could we do like, could oh, we do like, yes. like New Argentina, she takes a verse, I take a verse? Could we do that? <laughs> yes, we, okay. we definitely can do that at my, my funeral. Um, what... <laughs> What TV sitcom would you like to be a what TV sitcom family would you like to be a part of? Oh of uh, any the, year, any decade. The um the Keatons from Family Ties. You know what? That's everybody's answer. It's the best family. Either okay, that okay. or uh, my I I think the Malcolm in the Middle family. Because those right. people were hilarious and crazy. If you can go back in time and see any Broadway show, what would it be? Oh, um. Hmm. Um, I would have loved to have seen Raul Julia in Nine. I think that would have probably been transformative. Uh, Most memorable singular performance you've seen? Uh, Revival of a dance piece called uh, The Garden of Earthly Delights. It was truly in the first second, literally the first moment of First Like You, I turned to my husband and I said, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And to this day, that is still true. Name one musical you're okay with never seeing again. Um, Sideshow. No offense. I'm taken. Um, <laughs> are you into true crime? Not at all. Upsets me. Bad dreams. Funny girl movie or funny girl musical? Funny girl movie. I mean, there is an answer. There's a correct answer. It's movie. It is. Yeah, it's a movie. Um, what musical would you like me to direct you in? What it's a new question. Amazing question. Um, let me think about that one um, because I think that we need something that's funny. Yeah. How about? Um, I I would like to direct you as Margaret White and Carrie, which is not funny, but that's what I want to do. I mean, that would be uh, indulgent and amazing. I'll take All it. Right, sure. So I'm just putting out into the world. Favorite quarantine TV binge. Um, what did we really get into at the beginning of the quarantine? Uh, I don't know. It's all been so depressing, hasn't it? I don't know. TV is the bright spot in my quarantine. Um, what did we, I have to ask? Dan, what, what did we watch at the beginning of quarantine? What TV binge were we doing? We were watching something like every night. 
We've blocked it out. All right. Oh, Ozark. Okay. Ozark. 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 Yes. All right. Have you ever left a show at intermission? And you don't have to tell me what it was. N- uh, no. No. I wow. won't. I won't do it, and I won't fall. I won't allow myself to fall asleep in the theater. I have wanted very much to leave shows at intermission, and yet have felt like the actors deserve my time. Well, you didn't see Amazing Grace, but I uh, did see Lestat. You did no, I didn't okay, see okay. Amazing Grace. I, did I saw both acts of Lestat. I mean, it was well. kind of impossible not to say after that no, end of like, Act mm-hmm. One. Um, also, my best friend was in it, and um, she had a big. Da- she's not a dancer, and she had a big dance solo at the top of Act Two. So I really wanted to see the dance solo. Um, what movie can you watch over and over? Um. Oh, I used to say Annie Hall, and now I. I can't. No, that I'm, feels weird. Feels weird. Um, so no, just Annie. Not, not that either. Um, I know I, I'm not. I'm probably giving up my gay man cards. You're my way. only guest who's never been an Annie at some point in their life. May never. I, I oh, that that's what I want you to direct me in. I want to play Miss Hannigan. All right. So will you direct me oh. Annie and just have all of the little girls yes. in your thing? Okay. Four so, casts of little girls will sell so many tickets. Excellent. Um. I would really like to play Miss Hannah again. Um, I'm trying to think movie I can watch over and over again. This is such a weird one, but it's always good. Is well, two. They're both from the '90s, and the one is Gosford Park. Have you ever seen that movie? Yes. I always forget what happens, <laughs> so then I'm like, "What?" I'm so pulled in. And then um, the the other is this really wonderful independent film called Big Night that I've probably seen okay. more than anything else that stars Tony Shalhoub and Stanley Tucci. It's a gorgeous I'll check it out. Film. So good. And the last question is what advice do you have for young performers? Uh, be yourself. It's the best. Be yourself. Best That's who the world wants to meet and see and hear from. Farah, I can't thank you enough for being here. Tell the people where they can follow and find out what's going on with Farah Alvin. You can find me on my website, which is farahalvin.com. And you can find me on Facebook, uh, under Farah Alvin and you can find me on Instagram under Farah Alvin and I don't do any of the other social medias because I can't handle anymore. So you're a very busy person. I have stuff to do. Um, you, you can also st- find me at Nourished uh, with Farah Alvin on Instagram and then Nourished with Farah Alvin if you're interested in nutrition and I do a free consultation. Can't beat that. Oh my God, free. What's free in 2021? Nothing. Nothing. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. And also, uh, check out that Indiegogo Farah, I, you know, I'm your biggest fan and, um, I'm so excited to make this album with you. And, uh, thank you everybody to listening to the first 50 episodes of little me. We are actually back next week with something very special, which I just remembered. So, um, check in next week for that. And, uh, Farah, you have a great day. Thank you for joining me for little me. Thank you, Mark. I love you. And I love little me. Love you. Bye. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash little me. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at That Tuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists. 
what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.